Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus and Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast brought to you by Axon Tire helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. Also, if you are interested in buying some new tires, go to axontire.com or axontire.com and you can get a 5% discount on um, Alliance 354 AgriFlex tires by using promo code SPRAYER. And also, if you are talking to your Axon rep, make sure you mention that you heard it on the Moving Iron podcast to get that same 5% discount. Also, Tractor Zoom delivering insights. Tractor Zoom uh, is a great place to go track auction values and see what's happening out there. So if you have uh, interest in that, make sure you use Moving Iron at checkout. And you also get a discount there as well. Well, as usual, I've got Sean Hacking on here from our weekly download of what's happening in the marketplace. And Sean is always kind enough to come on here and, and give his opinion of what's happening. And Sean, there's plenty of stuff happening here this morning. We have seen uh, a pretty much a, a, a shaking up here in the market over the last Oh, 10 days or so. Basically, the corn markets dropped about a dollar, and I think soybeans have dropped even further than that. We've got a wheat tour going on in Kansas right now, um, the, the annual wheat tour that, that runs across uh, Kansas. Um, so plenty of information out there. So, Sean, let's start with this first. Let's talk about what's happening in the corn market right now. And as you take a look at um, these rains that we've gotten here over the last couple of weeks and then what's happening down in the uh, – Safrina area of Brazil, as far as some rains down there go, it does have the market uh, a little bit in bear mode here as, as they start to see some moisture fall. So give me your reaction to what you've seen so far here the last 10 days and, and uh, what you think may come out of this over the next 10 days. Well, you know, we, we've been warning for quite some time that we expected a bearish period here in May with really, really good planting weather. It's something we've been talking about for a long time. You have at some point, U.S. planting weather would take center stage and be the dominant force in the pricing of the market. And at some point, you can only trade uh, Brazil drought for so long. Um, and um, and so that's where, that's where we're at. I mean, pretty much the crop in Brazil is what it is. The USDA didn't come down as low as people would like. Planting weather is fantastic. And day one of the crop tour for winter wheat showed yields above current USDA estimates. And so speculators are just liquidating. Casey, I mean, this is not uncommon that at some point the speculators all decide they want to get out at the same time. And so we think this will go on for a while. We don't think we're going to be able to get ourselves out of this corrective phase until we get into early June. And we think 
the weather pattern will shift away from ideal planting weather and initial crop uh, uh, weather for crop emergence to moving into more of a drought cycle from mid-June onward. And so, um, so, the, so, so the moral of the story is the livestock producer, the ethanol producer, those on the end user side that have been chasing these markets up for months are going to get an opportunity to buy cash. And so we're really getting our livestock producers. In fact, we're speaking today or this tonight to a bunch of uh, cattlemen and dairymen and all. And, you know, we're going to make a strong recommendation. They get their pencils hardened for what are they going to do when we approach this next slow here in early June. So there's going to be a really good opportunity on the other side. There's, there's two players here, Casey. We can't totally ruin one for the sake of the other. And so this is going to give the other side get a chance to get in a better spot, at least from the feed side of the equation. So, yeah. All right. So, um, kind of back to that winter wheat thing. It looks like, you know, like you talked about the scouts had the first day here, they had an average uh, yield of 59.2 bushels per acre across the Northern part of Kansas up sharply from the 2019 um, 46.9 bushels per acre. Um, now anyone that knows Kansas um, knows that the Northeastern part of, of the state typically gets more rain uh, and has a little better growing conditions than what we see as in the western part of the of the of Kansas. So today um, they kind of start making their way west. I think they end up in Wichita, uh, Kansas, and then they kind of work their way west from there, ending up ultimately in Colby, Kansas. So um, the western half, uh, western two thirds of the state, will kind of be the tell the tape for what the actual um, average wheat crop wheat crop is going to look like in Kansas. And uh, the western half of the state has been. Um, about like everything else in the western part of the United States, it's it's been uh, it's been a struggle for moisture. So definitely will be uh, interesting to see how this next couple of days play out for the wheat crop. Yeah, I kind of think they're starting at the at the best looking wheat part of the crop, and they're going to kind of work their way down the next couple yep. of days. And then we'll we'll find out where we're at. It's interesting enough that even though we've had some better conditions the last week, the crop ratings for winter wheat actually dropped another point. Um, so I'm not sure what that exactly means other than you would have expected maybe conditions to improve a little bit and, um, and they didn't. So I don't know, you know, crop tours aren't perfect either. There's no one can right. crop that's still going to harvest it and find out, but um, probably we've just seen the best looking part of the wheat crop and we'll, we'll see them come down. But today will be an important day, Casey. This is really kind of the heart of the matter and we'll see what they look at here. I think this will have a lot to do with what the ultimate expectations are for the one we crop this year. So, yep. Yeah, that is, that is definitely the fact. Okay. So let's jump down and let's talk about what's going on in the protein markets for a little bit. Um, you know, China and, and the hog herd thing has been, it's been driving the, the hog market here for the past, I don't know, two, almost two years now. Um, so there's a story out here, but uh, in pro farmer here this morning, that says Chinese live hog futures tubble. Uh, Chinese live hog futures fell nearly 5% today to their lowest level since launching in January. Uh, analysts report large volume of heavy, uh, heavy pigs are being sent to slaughter weights on cash price, waiting on cash price. So that kind of flies in the face of what we've seen here um, uh, from the Chinese of, of late. We've talked about it here. You kind of don't necessarily trust what they say, but trust what they do type of approach, what they have. So, as you look at the hog market right now and the things that have been going on there, um, the hog market's had a good run. 
this looks like this might feed the bull a little bit. So what are your thoughts on the hog market here as we move into this uh, kind of peak grilling season? Well, I mean, that, you know, the domestic demand has been driving the market. The, the Chinese have been pulling away pretty much from the export market. And, and obviously, they have an oversupply right now. The, the, the hog prices are crashing. The pork prices are crashing. And there's two, there's two schools of thought, Casey. The one school of thought is they came out, the Chinese came out last week and said, the herds rebuilt, they're all as well. Um, and that's why prices are falling. Um, others are suggesting that the second round of African swine fever is causing massive herd liquidation. And the reason that prices are falling and the reason why pork prices are falling is because of this herd liquidation that's going to go on for a while. Um, but that don't venture that, but later in the year, they're going to have to be in for a lot of pork again, because they're going to, you know, their herd will have been reduced and they're going to, and so they're, they'll have to go back rebuilding it again. And there'll be another shortage coming. We believe the latter is the truth. And the reason we believe that is because we look at piglet prices. Typically, if hog prices are going down because of oversupply of too many, of, of the hog herd being too large, then the piglet price falls because you don't need, you don't want it, you're not, not going to rebuild your herd anymore if you have too many pigs. You know, the, the, the pig price and the piglet price fall, falls the same. So there's this crash in the hog price, but the piglet prices have been rising. Why the heck would that be happening? Well, if it's true that they're liquidating the herd because of African swine fever, and they and and the, and the actual herd size isn't growing, it's contracting, and everyone wants to buy piglets to rebuild the herd later in the year. So that bifurcation tells me that what the Chinese said last week is not correct, and what and that those that are are considering African swine fever being a big problem is actually correct. Um, and that we're going to have, and they're going to be in for some large imports later. You know, let's say in the fourth quarter onward. For right now, however, what we see is an oversupply. Either way, there's an oversupply in China. Either way, they have too much pork. Either way, they have no need to be importing large amounts of pork from the United States at least through the summer months into the early fall. And once grilling demand peaks, and once this kind of restocking of the freezers of the food service business peaks, which we think it will momentarily, you know, we think we can have quite a big hit here. Let's say, you know, in, in summer fall cash prices in, um, in hogs and pork prices, we think there could be a, a nasty spill after a pretty good run up. And these prices are very attractive for hog producers right now. So we're really strongly suggesting, you know, don't look, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. If you're a hog producer, just get those prices booked, make sure you get them done. You know, we, we think this is a good time for them to make making some cash sales here. So, yep. Okay, let's just jump down and talk about the cattle market here a little bit. If you take a look at what's going on there from the from the highs that we saw in that one twenty five to one twenty seven range, right now um, we've seen some action here the last couple of days in that one nineteen to one twenty three range. So you're seeing some some pretty steady gains after we saw that that run down about that one fifteen range. So, um. It looks like Argentina is banning some beef port beef uh, exports for 30 days to to help kind of. That's going to help bolster some U.S. Uh, shipments of meat to China and those kind of things. Some some other exporting countries uh, or importing countries as well. Um, so I guess as you take a look at that, is this kind of a short term deal? For, do you think, or do you think this has some legs so where we could see some more steady prices in that 120 range? Well, I think the most important thing for the cattle market right now is lower feed prices that are starting to happen. We were working our way higher steadily. And then once we blew, we started to blow our top off 
two weeks ago or three weeks ago, the cattle market just caved in. What started to happen, Casey, you started to get herd liquidation. Some farmers, cattle men were, were saying, you know what, I'm not paying, I'm not buying $7 corn and, and feeding it to my, I'm just going to get rid of the animal. The problem is we're at such tight capacity in the packing business. There's no room for a surge of herd liquidation. They just can't move the animals through, despite the fact we have very high cutouts. Beef cutouts are extremely high. The demand's extremely good. So we got bottlenecked. But, but the good news is if these if we're correct and these feed prices keep coming down into early June, well, then that herd liquidation is going to probably back away. The cowman's going to say, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, I'm going to hold, you know, if, if corn's, you know, collapsing here and wheat feed's collapsing here and bean meal's collapsing, every, you know, the feed prices are collapsing here, um, you know, I might hold back a little bit. And I think that's going to start supporting, of course, it's going to support the feeder cattle market, but I think it'll start to support the live cattle market and take some of that. Uh, backup supply off and allow the packing houses to bring those animals through with firm prices up here a little bit. So we think we could have a pretty good period for better cattle prices into early mid-June before the, the the feed price takes off again and we go through another battle of herd liquidation. So we think there's a window for cattle guys. There's a marketing window here for late May into mid-June to get some cash business done. So there's some good news short-term for the cattle guys. That's good news. That's real good news. All right, Sean. I guess as you take a look out here as to what is going on, what's the one, the one thing you would say to, to folks as we kind of go through this this lull between the rest of May and through June as as the planting season comes to a halt and um, wheat harvest really kicks off. What's the what's the one thing you're going to really be paying attention to? Um, you know, the, the, I think that for me. Number one thing I'm going to be looking forward to is what, what is the cash basis doing for grains in the United States? To me, that's going to ultimately determine what the truth is. You can have all kinds of stories, all right. kinds of, uh, of uh, you know, the bears, I call it in May, the bears always come out of hibernation and growl and tell every farmer you're screwed and we're going to $2 corn and it's never, you know, we're going to zero. And so, you know, you just have to ignore all that stuff. But if, but if we're correct about what's to happen, the cash base is going to stick pretty hard here at some point and really start to rise despite lower futures prices. When we see that, that's going to tell us that we're getting pretty close to what the next low and the market's ready to take off again, especially as we move into the drought cycle. So, um, you know, not, this is not a surprise that we're having a correction in May. We were expecting this. We were projecting this. We were anticipating this. And, and it's normal. But I think once we start, uh, the number one thing that we're going to be putting out in our reports to our subscribers and talking to our customers about is when the cash basis really starts to stick it on lower futures prices. And that's when uh, it will tell you that speculators are getting uh, are overplaying a normal bearish time of the year. Um, and so, that, so I think that will really be the keys to, to timing of when the next low is going to be. Our best guess at this moment is, is early June, could be late May, could be mid-June, but somewhere as a focal point for mid-June, we're going to be looking for a cash basis to give us the green light that we're ready for a shift back to a bullish trend into July. Right well, good stuff as usual, Sean. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about Hackett Financial and what they can do for their operation, what's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of stuff on there that talks about what we do to see if we can help some of your listeners do a good job with monetizing their businesses.
Absolutely. I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, um, go to movingironllc.com, and that's where you'll find the entire library of the Moving Iron Podcast, all the blogs I've written, as well as information about the Moving Iron Summit coming up in Nashville, Tennessee, September 15th through the 17th. Um, Sean Hackle will be there. He'll be talking about what's going on with uh, basically kind of what's to come here with uh, kind of how the upcoming climate could change based around how the how the sun interacts with the earth. Um, Sean and I have done a couple of different interviews with Dr. Uh, Zarkova and uh, Dr. Zarkova is nice enough to come on two different times. We do have uh, two sets out there right now with her and I'm going through editing the uh, the second one there. So, Sean, I guess as you look back on that interview that we just finished up with Dr. Zarkova, what are some of your takeaways from that? Well, I think it was really interesting how she uh, went over her research on what her homework and her studies have determined what determines climate change and temperature change. Um, you know, she goes over things about how the sun, how it rotates around the uh, Barry center instead of the center of mass, as an example, and how the sun sometimes gets closer to the earth and sometimes mm -hmm. moves away and how that has a big impact on temperatures. Obviously, she talks about how solar radiation and UV radiation and its impact on the atmosphere and how those mechanics work. Um, and, and, and she went over, it was a really, really good discussion about a lot of the natural variables that are at work with climate change and temperature changes that are been researched for hundreds and hundreds of years in peer-reviewed papers, she being one of many. And uh, so I think it'll be a really good discussion we always hear about the greenhouse gas effect in, the, in, in, in terms of the discussion about climate. You don't really hear about these natural cycles that have been around for a long time that have impacted climate for a long time. So I think it's a really interesting uh, alternative look at some well-researched fact-backed um, information and research that uh, will at least put a, a balance to the discussion about what's really going on here. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to get that out. There's a lot of great information there and <clears throat> she's a brilliant woman and she has a lot of, a lot of great, um, theories and stuff backed up by hard science. So that's, that's the other good part about all that. It's just, it's hard factual science that it's math. And well, what's really, it's so really cool. Yeah. It's really cool, Casey. And I do this in my, in my presentations, you know, you can read the papers <laughs> yourself. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, there's hundreds of them, but, you know, you, I'll put one or two of them on a slide, say, go read these papers, do a search. I mean, mm. it's not like any of this is hidden, and you can go read the period of paper of four scientists with PhD degrees that are experts in their field that went over an analysis, and here's what they found. Finding the, so it doesn't mean everything is that they're talking about is perfectly correct. They're scientists. Science is never perfect. It's always evolving. But it's there if you are interested to read these other research papers and these and this other data to take a balanced approach to what we've been hearing a lot. And so it's not like this is, it, this is, um, you know, witchcraft or snake oil. Right. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's out there if you're looking for it all I try to do. And I think you're trying to do, and what she's trying to do is here's the information that we see. Here's the mission that's been out there for a long time from a bunch of smart people. Why don't you take a closer look at it for yourself and make up your own mind what you think the truth is. It's not up to me to decide what you think it is, but I do think a balanced approach is the only way to get to the truth. 
Yep, agreed. Totally agree with that. Also, Sean did, does have uh, speaking engagements that he that you can get get hired him for to come out and talk about what's going on. So, if somebody wanted to book you, Sean, to to give a presentation to their group, what's the best way to do that? Our booking agents, the Tiller Group. You can also go to our website under speakers. Uh, the Tiller Group uh, uh, link is there. I mean, we're doing a presentation tonight here in in uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming. Um, and you just go, you call them and you work through them and they set everything up and work logistics and, and all that sort of thing. So if anyone is interested in hiring us to talk exactly about this topic of climate change, these natural weather cycles, how it impacts agricultural production and prices, you know, we do a really good job with it, been researching for a long time. And we'd love to speak to any group that has an interest in it. We think it'd be a really uh, timely discussion given what we think is going to happen over the next winter here in the Northern Hemisphere. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you got a chance to hire Sean and to come talk to your group, they're going to, they're going to be blown away because I guarantee it's information they haven't heard before. So uh, make sure you, make sure you check that out. So Sean, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks Casey. Always love doing it. Look forward to doing it next week. Right on, man. That'll work. Okay. Well, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Uh, let's go with some iron folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales parts or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, Head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron.